Hello and welcome to tonight's show. On the show tonight we have some thrills. Omar versus Michael in a battle between war and peace. We have some chills. Walter Matow as you have never seen him before. And some spills. Of all the ways to get to an island, Tom Hanks chooses quite possibly the worst. And not forgetting our adopted ward Alverston, we have a patient's choice from Andy Armstrong. Welcome to They Don't Make Them Like They Used To. Well, we will have our same theme to in a minute, but welcome to Sunshine Radio. We are here live at St Mary's Hostel on the Isle of Wight. Um, I'm Sharon and I'm going to be your host tonight. And I am joined in the studio by Shawnee. Hello there. And our usual host, who is letting me take the driving seat tonight, Tozin. Hello. How's everything going? <laughs> All right, so far, apart from <laughs> my thing didn't play. <laughs> No, we'll get, we'll get there in a minute. We'll get those. We'll get those working in a sec. <laughs> Just when it's all going so well. So to explain our format, then for those who are new to listening to, they don't make them like they used to. We are looking at the golden age of cinema, and by that we mean cinema made before 1980. We'll be looking at a bona fide classic, a film that has stood the test of time and deserves its place in cinematic history. We have a patient's choice, a film chosen by, you know, get, you've guessed it, a patient in St Mary's Hospital. And tonight that is our Andy Armstrong from Alverston Ward. And then we have a hidden gem, which is one of those films that you may have missed the first time around, and have, and it's, but it has undeservedly been forgotten. And then we finally have in our Isle of Movies slot, a movie that's set on an island. Earlier shows, we've had a look at films that were actually filmed on the Isle of Wight, but we soon ran out of those, so now we're checking out those films that are set on other islands out there. But our first film tonight is one that was chosen by Shawnee, and it is one of his bona fide classics. So go for it, Shawnee. Hang on, Tell hang on, hang on, Sean. Before you say anything, so okay. I was so as Sean was saying that we were speaking to Andy Armstrong in Alveston earlier today. Hello, Andy. How's things going? And so, and when I spoke to him, and he he mentioned a film that has uh, somebody in it that stars in the film that you've chosen. When I told him about the film, and he he had a guess, at, he had a go at guessing what film this was. So I want to play this, and I want you to tell us whether Andy got it right or not. So Sharon, is it working now? Can't remember, but yeah, I think I have seen that. But they are a Sharif that I remember. Oh, is, is that the one where he breaks his leg? I actually don't know. One you haven't seen it? I haven't seen it. <laughs> one of the other guys has chosen it, but I haven't seen it. Uh, there's one where he breaks his leg, and um, I think it might be that film. And uh, he puts the Quran on it to save his leg, and it ends up having to be amputated. So he's the son of the chief or something in, Af in Afghanistan, I think. <laughs> so, okay, you're down. <laughs> so, Sean, uh, what do you reckon? Um, no, I reckon he's thinking of probably a film called um, Genghis Khan, but um, that's that's not the film I was thinking of. But it's a really, really good guess. <laughs> All right, cool. So, okay, cool. Sorry, Sharon. Carry on. Okay, then, so Sean, so tell us about what is the last value about. But to get us in the mood, I have got okay. us a little clip so Ooh. that we can enjoy the mood of the film, and then you can explain what the plot's about. But what's it called, first of all? This film's called The Last Valley. The Last Valley. Let's...
what a great score that is, eh? That's by John Barry. Did it you know is, that? Yes, I did know it was by John Barry. And that score, actually, um, John Barry did a the, the uh, music to Game of Death, a Bruce Lee movie. Oh, did he? And if you listen to the theme, the opening tunes, Game of Death, it's more or less based on that. Do, do. And so... I mean, this this is rated as one of his, his best scores. But yeah, so compare it to The Game of Death and you'll see there's a few themes that run through it. So yeah. I haven't seen Last Valley, John, even though it's one of your classics, I'm sorry to say. So what what's it about? Um, I, that sounds slightly Russian to me, that sort um, of theme tune. So is it set like in Europe or is it set in Asia? Where, what's happening there? Okay, well, it's, um, it's basically, it's set in the Thirty Years' War. Now, the Thirty Years' War was a, a religious struggle between protestants and catholics um it's a it's a t- it's it's not very often portrayed in films in fact this was probably only this is one of the first films to to take place in the uh, 30 years war which was which mainly europe you never see it in m- many british history books or anything like that because we weren't really involved we had our own civil war at the time and um it was basically a lot of mercenary soldiers and these mercenaries would go on any side. They go on Protestants, Catholics, anything for money. Yeah, but so one thing: the Thirty Years' War. I've heard that name before, but where, which area of the world was it in? Which, what, what, what dates? No, in no. The, which area of the oh, world? Oh, sorry, in it? Germany. Where okay, Germany? Okay. It was all small oh, right. states. It was like Saxony, Bavaria, Württemberg, and they they were all like little princely kingdoms. And um, it just started off with a lot of squabbling between them, and then some of the major powers got involved, and sort of, and then it became less of a political issue and more of a a power struggle you know okay, between yeah. france and sweden and and, wow. and they all got involved um but anyway this is back to the story this is basically there's a band of mercenaries um and they oh it starts off with omar sharif and he's sort of running running away from a village that's being sacked and pillaged because around this time it was just like it was a free-for-all basically you know um and he runs. He he's running away, and he comes across this village, this hidden village, which is is there's no plague, there's no you know there's there's plenty of food. It's just a really really beautiful village in a valley. Um, there's no villagers in it to start with, but anyway, these mercenaries have followed him, and they come and they find this village, and they they're about ready to sack it. And and he says, why don't you you know look at all this food? There's everything here because they haven't eaten for ages, haven't been paid. Why don't you stay here for the winter? You know why don't we winter here? And then all the the peasants come in, and um, Omar Sharif is a bit like a teacher. Okay. And, and so anyway, the villagers come in, and they decide that the mercenaries decide that they're going to stay at winter in this village. Um, but in this group of mercenaries, there's Catholics and there's Protestants, and there's like a the the village itself is Catholic, and there's this Catholic church, and some of the Protestants are saying. Oh, it's a heretic, burn it. But the Catholics sort of defend it. But anyway, they come to an agreement and uh, Omar Sharif and uh, Michael Caine, they come to this agreement that, well, let's build a Protestant church then on the other side. We'll let that one, but the Protestants so they can have their their own worship. And it goes through the village and then the mercenaries say, we want some women. And the leader of the village, he's got a woman, obviously, but the captain, Michael Caine's character, wants the woman. <laughs> it's... it's what we should say this is one of the few films that was it was probably the last one it was shot in Todd A.O. which is like the massive you know how big I am on big cinema scope yeah yeah it's yeah big 70 mil but at that particular time 1971 people were more interested in films like Easy Rider and so it, it really did lose a lot of money and it's one of those films that 
you know, it just just didn't make any money. And I think that was towards the end of big movies, you know. So it's. Uh, so but do you, you think it's a classic? Oh, well, Shawnee. everybody well, rates it. Michael Caine puts it down as his best film. He's really? Done, yeah, really? And, he, and he's really good in it. Yeah, yeah, if you look at interviews, he says, um, it was, Michael Caine actually says, my favourite film. I think it's so underrated. I think it's not. Um, because of the, the religious issues in it, it was saying that no one particular side liked it or whatever, actually, in, in, in real life, around about that time. So, uh, but it was, when I went to see it, it was a cinema called the Odeon, and it was like you, you know it was on the scale of Lawrence of Arabia and Tora Tora Tora, and it was it just really really stuck in my mind. Um, but if you read all the reviews, all the people they say it's a it's a masterpiece, you know. So so it sounds like um, what you're saying is that there was a lot of you know how it was in well, with those films that you mentioned, Lawrence of Arabia, Tora Tora Tora. Yeah, that was like this big, massive. The people who made it felt like we're painting a picture, painted we're painting a, picture, a tapestry yeah. that you're going to go and watch. So you're saying this is this was like in that, and when you said in the seventies, I guess that was a time when people like all the filmmaking stuff became cheaper. Yeah, yeah and there so, was probably so, not a lot of money around in the in the early seventies. Yeah, so you started having like you know more sort of independent things like you mentioned Easy Rider. So you reckon this was almost kind of like the last hurrah of that Hollywood golden studio, we're going to spend a whole bunch of money, give you a big massive tapestry. Yeah. I, I think that was the end of, you know, the, the cinemascope, the cinerama type films. It was, was you know, it meant more to, uh, you didn't really get those big productions anymore. If you think of, of a lot of 70s films or early 70s films, there's not that many major, major, you know, blockbuster type things. And it deals, this picture deals with so much stuff, you know. Um, there's so many issues in this. You yeah. know, I mean, I could could quote some, you know, he goes, I said that because there's like a, oh, there's a Catholic priest in it, the, the priest of the village. And, you know, he calls them heretics and he says, oh, you know, he goes, there is, well, I, I mean, you probably have to see it for the issues, but he goes, you know, God's on your side, God's on your side, you know, how, how could he possibly be on both so sides? There's lots struggle. of issues. Yeah, it's an eternal struggle because you've got, you know, I'm Lutherans, right. no, Catholics. I'm right. No, I'm right. <laughs> and that's what it was. And, you know, he said the only people that are right are, are you know, you priests and things. You, you're the ones that cause all the trouble, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, and there's lots of other issues. And there's also, there's a really good scene in it where Omar Sharif and the, the, the leader of the village, they're quite, quite good sort of adversaries, shall we say. Mm. And there's this scene, this, this scene with Dice where they're gambling for the, this woman, um, which is which is really really good, and it's all knowing glances and knowing looks. Some really really good, you know. So it sounds like you're saying the quite cinematic. Yeah, yeah, really really cinematic. Well, it was filmed in the Tyrol, and they actually oh in Austria. Yeah, in Austria. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the actual village there, and apparently they um they covered up the villages with like camouflage, and the inside scenes were were done in the Pinewood Studios. Yeah. So. Bit like Zulu, I guess, with the hospital scenes that were done <laughs> done over here. And the... yeah, they looked out the window, and there yeah. wasn't anything to see. It was like, hey, look at that person over there. <laughs> yeah, this is um, that's what you call acting. Yeah, I, suppose. I, 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 I did find a couple of things. I think this was quite good. It's uh, the last valley is a film with a lot on its mind: conflicts of religion, morality, philosophy, and they're all debated on a small scale setting. Mm. So. It, even though it takes place in the Thirty Years' War, yeah, you know it, it's all sort of a microcosm. It's all all takes place, takes place. Yeah, it's um, Tom Clavel, 
you know Tom Clavel? You would know Tom Clavel, Sharon. Shogun and... The writer. Yeah, mean? the writer. Yes, yeah, well, yeah. He, he directed this. Oh, right. He, dire- he directed this, this film. And he also directed To Sir With Love, which was what we had on a yeah, few, we had few weeks, weeks ago. He directed yeah. that. different films there. Yeah. Goodness. So, yeah. I love that. That's what there is I love about this show. You can start finding all these people and almost reliving their careers. That's it, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, well, one th- I've got a question for, the, for you guys, right? I think one thing, Omar Sharif as a movie matinee idol. What do you reckon? When you look at him now, because I was looking at him earlier today, I was obviously looking, doing some stuff for the show and looking at some of the film choices, because I remember as a child thinking he was lovely. When I was younger, I thought, oh, yeah. well, he's lovely, isn't he? And now <laughs> I look at him, I'm thinking, he's not that good looking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, the man but is about 80 or something. Now he is, yeah, but when in his youth. But I think he has something about him now. I think he's got that, that word, that elusive charisma, isn't it? It isn't purely just about, you know, the two eyes, mouth, nose. It's He's just got that, that the look in his eyes, the mm-hmm. shape of his face and that sort of gap in his teeth. It just adds to his attractiveness. So you're thinking, you're not pretty, I, but I, you are attractive. Yeah, I think he's he probably, you know, I mean, I know he appealed to my sister and everybody. Perhaps it was just that, that sort of look. Of, I think it's that know, first scene, maybe, that Lawrence, yeah, where people but, first saw him, they go, Quah. Yeah, <laughs> be, people didn't... Um, you know, you know, travel too much, I suppose. So he had that idea of that of the exotic about mm. him, yeah. So and so, forever after he was cast as everything other than an Egyptian, wasn't he? he never played. <laughs> Did he ever play an Egyptian in any of his <coughs> film roles? I but... think I think there might have been one film in which, actually, no, I think that film he was supposed to be Greek. Greek. But, yeah, but Greek. it's it's a it's the first film I ever saw him in, and it's not. As, it was a TV movie where he's a gambler. And it's called something like uh like Paradise Casino or Crystal Palace or Casino Palace. It's something like that. I, I can never I remember I had to go because one of these films that we had on Betamax at home <laughs> that my dad had recorded off TV at yeah. some point and he'll be like, Oh yeah, Omar Sharif and I'll be like, I don't know. And so for me, in my head for ages, Omar Sharif was a gambler. <laughs> That's, he, well yeah. he is a gambler. He loves it. He plays his thing, a, wasn't it? A major bridge player as well. Yeah, yeah. A major bridge player. Yeah, and this film was all about that. It was all about him, like with cards and stuff like that. And even I think this was this was when he was it was way past his Lawrence of Arabia time, it was way past his um, Dr. Zhivago time and all that kind and of funny stuff. Funny girl and all those things. Yeah, it was way past this, but he already had grey hair by then. And I think it's like, but he was kind of the person who he walked in and he had this sort of like air of mystery and air of, mm. you just thought, oh yeah, this is a guy. It's, it's kind of like, you know, the, the kind of guy who walks in and you think there's a charisma about him and he probably has money. Yeah, yes. that's it. Yeah. That's, that's probably I think that's the whole charisma. But when you look back at these films, <coughs> like in this film, he obviously is supposed to be a, a German, isn't he? He's a European. Yeah. But in the early days of Hollywood, when you think how coy they were about a lot of things, they they didn't they weren't coy about having like a, an Egyptian man with white women or with European women. And it's like with the same with Dr. Zhivago and with a lot of his other films, where he's like a now I think they'd be more much more coy about having an Arab man in a romantic role with a with a, a European woman. Mm. Because they tend to be, I think Hollywood's got a bit shy about. Well, uh, that, I think that also not 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 all Arab men are Omar Sharif. No, that's true. That's no, true. That's, that, that's he true. He was a special man. I think also he's got that nice. He's got a nice voice as well. If you think of voices, yeah, as well, because I, I think voices sometimes can be very seductive, can't they? Oh, you know. I mean, I mean, it's like my, I mean, my mum just goes on about Richard Burton, or she did go on about <laughs> Richard Burton all the time, and I, I don't think he was particularly good looking, but oh, but he had that. <laughs> but the voice, the voice, voice was. She said, "Oh yeah, the voice." Uh, like, if you're going to talk about voices, you got my, my personal voice crush is an actress called Shore Agdashlu. 
Yeah. Yeah, and she's she yeah, her, her name is Shore Agdashlu. I can't remember what country she's from. I think she I think she's Iranian of uh, original. Okay. Yeah, so oh, she Oh, so you you can hear yeah. Oh no, I mean you you, you need to, you need to listen. Go and go and figure out how to spell it. But sh- her first name is Shore, so S H O R E H. Her last name is Agdashlu. She was in the House of Sand and Fog. She was in um one season of 24. And that woman's voice is just kind of like it's like Dang, that's a voice. <laughs> it's kind of like you, you, you kind of listen and you think it's husky, it's deep, it's it, it's just I've never heard any other female voice like that, and I and I think like the she 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 needs to do more voiceover stuff because yeah. she's got an amazing voice. You'd buy it if she was selling it. Yes, <laughs> yes, I would, especially if it came with a chance of meeting her. But yeah, that's competition, you don't have. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's amazing, really. But this film, this film lost so much money. Um, Do you think that's why it's largely it's, forgotten now? Because it's a film I, yeah. I wasn't, I was largely unaware of. Okay, um, it earned rent. It says here uh, this film was an expensive failure. It earned rentals of three hundred and eighty thousand dollars in North America and nine hundred thousand dollars in other countries, Oof. recording an overall loss of seven million one hundred eighty-five thousand. So, um, yeah. Uh, with it setting the Thirty Years' War, it covered a period never previously depicted on film. And and when I was reading a little bit about this, it was saying that it doesn't come up in even the American reviews. Are saying they they don't know nothing about the Thirty Years' War, you know. And, yeah. and in our history, we know nothing about the Thirty Years' War. And yet it was a major, well, thirty years of uh, European conflict. Yeah. yeah, European conflict. You know. Um, well, a bit isolation. Something where I think Britain's a bit isolationist, and so has America been in the past. That if it's not involving a British or an American, then we don't tend to take much notice. I think we're getting better about being more open to what's going on in the other parts of the world in film and well, in some ways. Yeah. You think? Yeah. I, I hope so. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, it would be good. It would be good. Any last words on the um, last Yeah, day? there's some... There's some uh, I've picked up a couple of reviews. Uh, the, these are reviews, not my reviews, but elegantly shot, confidently acted, superb central performance... This historical spectacular is also modern and intimate, so you could bring it into any period, especially with the religious conflicts. They're, I think what I was saying, you, today, yeah. you could you, you yeah, could bring it, it up to date, you know. Doesn't it still? Yeah, um, and the actual, I mean, I think this film probably is how you would imagine it would be during that period of time in Europe. You know, just even though it's a microcosm and the, the Thirty Years' War is going on somewhere else, and there's a bit of a battle in it at the end, but you you, you know you could get the feeling because. There's plague, pestilence, you know, the murder of, of women, children, and yet there's this valley, this really, really nice valley where all these, you know, can work out all these conflicts. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a lot on its mind, you know. Right. So it's Religion, a yes from you then for the last And valley. it's very philosophical, you know. So, pardon? So it's a yes from you for oh, the Oh, this is, time. I think you should, you should, you should, it's you should really see actually. this. It's not a film I, when I saw the trailer, I thought, mm. I'm not sure about this. But well, the more you've talked about it, the more I'm thinking, maybe I should give that a go. And, I mean, at the start of these films, these films made round about these time, the titles, you know, they had, I mean, the titles, when it comes up, is like a picture, it starts off with two, like, I guess, I don't know, knights fighting, and, you, and then when the music comes out, do, 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 and then it gradually opens up, you know, yeah. you go for the titles, and, and it takes like, five six minutes before you actually see it's just the titles and that to me sets you up for a film yes, it draws you in and the, i mean i'm going to go off on a tangent now <laughs> when i went to see the the empire strikes back in i went up to london to see it yeah and before even the curtains opened 
they played the first bars, you know, and it come through. And then while this music was playing, the curtains opened. Yeah, and it's just like whoa, put its hairs on the back of your neck. Yeah, and that to me, the audience down, doesn't it? Everyone quietens you know, down, and you're ready. You're ready for, yeah. for, you know, the, the ready for the film. Oh, this is good. And then you've got the, that lovely score, that lovely Barry score before, you know, just sets yeah. it all up. So, so it's, I mean, I think they're great. Those are well. So it's, it's kind of like proper event cinema. Yeah, it's an event cinema. Yeah, it was. You know, makes it so different to the show. Cool, right. good movie. So I suppose you say, and you value, might, then. yeah, the last value, and I think. It may be the whole film on YouTube. Quite a good... So. Mm, might be worth checking out then. Yeah, because it probably didn't make any money. So it's probably... <laughs> <laughs> so so it's probably don't they're care. not too jealous there, yeah. about their copyright <laughs> Well, you never know from this broad podcast, when it goes out on podcasts, that, hey, it might re- you know, have a resurgence in interest. In yeah, well, yeah, I mean... Michael King comes and asks us for royalties. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, I mean it, is, it is my... Well, one of Michael Caine's favourite films. And he actually says that, because I, I remember it was an interview, I don't know if it was on Parkinson or something, and it said... You know what? what what's your favourite film? And you think it would be, you know, one of the others he's done, like Alfie or something yeah. like that. And he said, uh, "I really, really like The Last Valley." Um, he's, he's got a German accent in it, so it's quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah. you kept that quiet, Michael Caine doing a German yeah, accent. Yeah, doing it, but it comes. Uh, I think it works really well. Oh, that yeah. ca- that that's it. We've got to go. Michael yeah. Caine doing any kind of accent beside his accent yeah. needs to be tracked down. We'll have to chase that one. <laughs> <It needs to laughs> exactly. Yeah. So so you really really need to go see the Last Valley. I'm sure everybody <laughs> will like it. It's, it's real old style. All right. Okay. Cool. Coolness. The Last Valley. Thanks for that one, Shawnee. Right, our patient's choice next is from Andy Armstrong, who's in Alveston Ward at the moment. And we have a bit of a theme emerging, and you'll find out what that is in a minute when I play the clip. But this is Andy's choice. And, um, yeah, we hope you are enjoying the show, oh, Andy. And my favourite film. Oh, I've got loads. I think it's probably something like Dr. Shivago. Such a interesting film. So well shot. Just fabulous. But the other David Lean, I think it's David Lean film that's an absolute classic is, of course, um, Lawrence of Arabia. And that, that scene where, I think it's Omar Sharif again, he's riding towards you and it lasts for, oh, forever. Just stunning, stunning photography. And of course, he did the same, um, he did Dr. Zhivago as well. So, fantastic director. Yeah, he, he had a way with an image, David Lean. He did. Certainly did. Good, thank you. <laughs> now, there's only one thing that can be played after talking about Dr. Zhivago, and I'm never one to disappoint. So let's have a listen to this while we think about those wonderful images from Dr. Zhivago. So welcome back to They Don't Make Them Like They're Used To on Sunshine Radio at St Mary's Hospital on the Isle of Wight. And that was our patient choice from Andy Armstrong, who is currently in Alveston Ward. So carrying on our Omar Sharif theme. I don't it's think Omar it Sharif! Omar Sharif! Omar Sharif. Omar there you Knight. go. There you go. <laughs> Omar Sharif. Dr. Chicago and Lawrence of Arabia. Well, this, this, 
this this film, you know, I was saying about the big cinema scope. Uh, yeah. You know, but I didn't see this at the pictures. Or I've only seen Chicago. this on TV. Yeah. I would really, really. This is one of the films that I, because I mean, it was what sixty five. So I was I was a little bit younger then. I think. <laughs> um, well, you know. So whereas, and and I mean, in those days, though, that's how they used to make the films. I mean, you know, early sixties got Lawrence of Arabia, like you say. Bridge on the River Kwai and this one, Doctor Zhivago. So I've only really ever seen it on TV. Um, so I, I probably and it was okay. But I think if I'd have seen it at the cinema, I would have that really would totally away. enjoyed it. I yeah. think with David Lean, it's one of those things, isn't he? He has a way of like setting the standard for filming certain things. So with Lawrence of Arabia, you think he set the standard for how to film in a desert, to how to make the desert look beautiful as well as hostile, and then in the Russian steppes or wherever this was set mainly it's the snow isn't it you can't think of Dr. Shvago without thinking yeah. of snow I was about to say like when I think Dr. because I this is one of those films that is well known but for some reason I've never seen it I've just never seen Dr. Shivago. it's quite long I, when I think Dr. Shivago, I think I think snow Julie Christie Omar Sharif being drawn being drawn through the snow on a like in a horse drawn carriage yeah that's what I think furry hat on yeah, yeah, yeah. They got the fluffy furry hat. You got all the furs and all that kind of stuff. And that is the that's for me is the abiding image of Doctor Zhivago. And uh, so whenever people say I'm like, oh yeah, Doctor Zhivago, and I know enough to bluff my way through it. It's like, oh yeah, David Lean, Julie Christie, Omar Sharif. Don't have a clue what the film's about. <laughs> it's about <laughs> the Russian it? Revolution, basically. <coughs> Again, it's another one of those big themes, but it's set. It's told in microcosm. So it's the Russian Revolution told through the eyes of Lara, which is Julie Christie's character. She's a a uh, seamstress's daughter who sort of brushes against the aristocracy mm -hmm. and she is seduced when she's very young and a doctor is called to her, um, Dr. Zhivago, who treats the wealthy even though he's not wealthy himself. And then, so you see the aristocracy and the wealth and then you also see the other side of it. And her boyfriend is a revolutionary, uh, a red, in the sort of the original terms. And so you see the revolution unfold through the eyes of Lara and her family and then her growing relationship with Dr. Shvago. And so when the revolution happens and everything is levelled, they have to find their own way of existing. It sounds like a similar approach to like using Gone with the Wind, another film I haven't seen but I can blag about. Yes. <laughs> it's very similar, yeah. You see this enormous conflict. Obviously, you've got, you've got the Russian Revolution comes... It sort of interrupts their their First World War sort of campaigns of the Russians. So you have got the far background. You've got the First World War. Then you've got the revolution, and then you've got the beginning of the communist state mm -hmm. and how that changed the lives of millions of people, for good or for ill, for the next sixty odd years. And like with the with Gone with the Wind, it was it's an, a, it's a small story, the story of one woman and her relationships set against this enormous conflict that killed 3% of the population of America at that time. Mm. So it's, yeah, big, big, small stories told on a big, big background. Yeah, and I think we, we had, because we, we've spoken about Dr. Zhivago before, Sean, haven't we? I think we did when, I think Joe, when he was a regular on the show, actually chose, it was one I of his choices. I think it might have been, yeah, yeah. I think it was. We did actually do, yeah, the show, probably, okay. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because he, I mean, he's a big David. I mean, David Lean's after Hitchcock. David <laughs> Lean's probably Joe's um, favorite director. I think yeah. he loves he loves those films. We were talking about this the other day. Actually, I was talking about Bridge on the River Kwai. That I think it's that's to me that's 
yeah, it's an okay movie, but I think it's really overrated. <laughs> Not well. I think it's quiet, quiet. The, the David Lee Listers will be after you. I know man. they will. They, they will, will be yeah. after you. They and will. I think be torches and, coming up the. There will be, but find I, where you live. Mobs. <laughs> Although I've watched this Doctor Javago, I I found that a bit in the same vein. It was like. You know, maybe I'm just not romantic enough. I don't know, but oh, I just and, Andy, can you hear that? Andy's going to come have words. I know, with you. I know, He's I know. But if I'd have bed, seen it, if I'd have seen it at the radio. cinema, Andy, if I'd have seen it on on the big screen, I think I probably would have enjoyed it. But seeing it just on a small TV, <coughs> watching it with my sister and my mum was not. <laughs> <laughs> you think what is this romantic yeah, soppy? You know, yeah. I mean, so yeah, it yeah, was, um, and I think that was probably. You know, I was I was more interested in other things then than than romance. Whereas, whereas, like with the Last Valley, I was I was young and impressionable then. Well, you could be like, there's supposed to be a war going on. Stop looking in each other's eyes and shoot something. Yeah, 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 yeah that's it. Stop worrying about the weather and, <laughs> and yeah, your balalaika. Yeah, but it's well. I think it's got I think it's got things to say in its benefit, but it's a good choice anyway. It was, thank yeah, you no, it's Randy. a good choice. It's a good it's, choice, it's a brilliant choice. And Lawrence of Arabia and completing our Omar Sharif trilogy. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm actually thinking, funny. yeah, I'm thinking Omar Sharif, he hasn't shown up that much, but he... he Surprisingly, he, he hasn't, no. Yeah, I, I think uh, he, he's he's a little bit like a, like an Egyptian Sean Connery. Because yes. because if you because Smart, because smooth, you have this whole thing about Sean Connery, how he came in. I remember I was I was actually watching a stand-up comedian once, and he was talking about Sean Connery, and he was like, "Have you ever noticed how in every single film Sean Connery is in, he has the same accent?" And he's yes. like, "He's Good. like he was in the Hunt for Red October. He was supposed to be a Russian submarine commander, and he had the same accent. In the Untouchables, <laughs> he was supposed to be an Irish Idiot street cop, <laughs> and he had the same accent. So at this rate, Sean Connery is going to play the lead." in the Bob Marley story and, he's <laughs> going to have, and he said that and the thing is a little bit like where people just thought oh it's Sean Connery cast him as anything it doesn't matter it's Sean Connery and I think a bit with Omar Sharif because oh, we just spoke about a film in which he plays so uh, a film in which he plays a German, German you said in like the 30 years war in Dr. Zhivago is he, is he supposed to be Russian he's Russian he's Russian in Dr. Zhivago and okay and Lawrence of Arabia I guess that's one where he played the closest to his actual ethnic background yeah in which he what, what was he what what nation I know he's he's, he's like a Muslim oh, leader. Saudi isn't he he's supposed to be Saudi Arabian he's supposed to be Saudi Arabian I think he's yeah he's he's, he's, he's something like that something like that yeah and then we touched on Genghis Khan where he's supposed to be the great you know Mogul Lord, isn't he? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, just kind of people were like, it's Omar Sharif, cast him as anything. <laughs> people will go watch it anyway. It's Omar Sharif. And I think for, for his time, he was he was quite unique in that, in that he'd, at least he didn't get typecast as anything other than Omar Sharif, I guess. Omar a bit Sharif, like, exotic. A bit, a bit like Cary Grant. Like we've yeah. spoken about, like Cary Grant would show up and people would just be like, put Cary Grant in the movie. Who's he playing? Yeah. Cary Grant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is Egyptian. Um, he's, he actually, he, so he died last year. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, I remember, I remember that happening. I remember that happening. Yeah, yeah that he he died recently. But I, I think he he was, he, I think for somebody, quite frankly, who wasn't white at that time, it, yeah. he had quite a what he achieved was quite sort of mind boggling, like how how he, the people who he mixed with and everything like that, yeah. and he never seemed to like his background never seemed to be an issue. For him, well, for well, look, look all the people who cast him. They didn't really care where he was from. No, so it was. No, that, that's pretty cool. And coming right. from our way, our world today, you think that's why isn't that more noticeable? But it wasn't, was it? It was just he was just yeah, this yeah, lovely, handsome, attractive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure he must have played every uh, 
you know, every so nationality, many, yeah, every yeah. nationality, really. Every he played so, somebody from every country. Yeah. Co- he continent. didn't play an Irishman, but then you know, <laughs> he played an Irishman. I don't think he did, but <laughs> he might have done. He's <laughs> like, I'm coming after you, Sean Connery. I'm going to play a Scottishman. That's see it. how yeah, you like it. it. <laughs> oh, those Sean Connery played an Egyptian, didn't he? In Highlander. Oh, he oh, did. Yeah, he did. Oh, oh, God, yeah. he did. Oh, there you go. With the same accent. Go. With the same accent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We can't top that, can we? <laughs> oh, good oh, Thank you, Omar, for all the years and of, of good films that you gave us. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now this is your turn, Tozin, to, yes. to tell us about your hidden gem. Right. Now, this is a film I don't know anything about, so... Well, this is a film me. that I didn't know anything about until recently. I randomly found it on Netflix, and well, like Walt, Walter Matthau is one of these actors who... Uh, I think I came to later in life, and I've I've become a, a, quite a fan of him. He's the kind of person who, if I see a film with Walter Matthau in it, I will give it a go. And so this film pops up on my Netflix, or maybe you'll be interested in this list, a uh, film list, and it was called um, it's called A New Leaf. And on the poster, oh, it just had it had what was obviously a young Walter Matthau, and I was like, okay, cool, I'm going to give this a go. Hit hit play. Thought it was a young Walter Matthau because when you think Walter Matthau. What kind of characters do you think of? Grumpy. Yep. Yep. Um, co- comedic, I guess. Yep, yep. And so that's what I was thinking. I, I think for me, Walter Matthau is defined by the word curmudgeon. Yep. And like he's a curmudgeonly, he's going to be like, you know, angry about something. He's going to like growl at people and say, ah, God, that kind of stuff. And you think about all the films where whenever he was a Jack, Jack Lemon. But he's only was... got a heart of gold underneath, hasn't he? Yeah, he's got a heart of gold underneath. And he's just, and he has a heart of gold underneath, but he's just like this grumpy guy. And this film is like you've never seen him before. When the film started, I was actually wondering what the heck was going on, what Walter Matthau <laughs> was doing, because he isn't his grumpy self. He isn't commercially, even though his face is built for that. Yeah. He isn't that. But so imagine Walter Matthau as a spoil as a spoiled, <laughs> rich, eaten boy. So he's like, like oh. so essentially, imagine he's gone to public school. He's like, you know, he and his his family are like one of these society families in New York and all that. So, but he has no money of his own. He lives off his family. He drives his Ferrari around New York, but even though he can't really drive the Ferrari because he does, because obviously in America, they always talk about the stick shift, which is essentially just a manually geared car. So he can't drive this car because it's manually geared. He keeps messing up the car and he just takes it into the gas to fix it. And he's like, fix it. So there's something wrong with it. There must be like something on the gears. And then he takes it out. He ruins it again. <laughs> He just he spends his days going to like one country club after another and sitting down there reading a newspaper in a high back leather chair while somebody's playing a violin in the corner. <laughs> and this is and so essentially there's some bits of this film where I'm looking at going, this is weird. It's like Walter Matthau doing a Hugh Grant impression. <laughs> like in about a boy, yeah. It's like right at four fifty years you've got about a boy, haven't you? <laughs> what year is it, Toast? This is seventy nine, I think. Seventy nine, oh yeah. Right, okay. It's it's a seventies movie, yeah. And it's it's directed by and it also stars Elaine May, who is best known as the comedic comedic partner of Mike Nichols. She, he he directed The Graduate. Uh, recently, he directed films like The Birdcage, Charlie Wilson's War, and okay. and he had quite a he had quite a Grammy. Or he had quite a quite a career. He's quite well renowned. He's quite sort of like you know critically acclaimed and all that. He's one of the few people to win an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Yes. But we're not talking about him. <laughs> we're talking about Elaine May, who directed this film and also stars in it. And 
I think did a brilliant job and especially pulling this performance out of water Matthau, the kind of performance I have never seen him give ever again. I'm not sure whether he thought it was like, you know, embarrassing or anything like that, but I just think it's amazing watching him do this. But the story of this film is that he so obviously he's this spoiled little rich boy lives off his family and eventually he spends all the money because he doesn't ever do anything to make more money he just spends it and spends it and spends it so he runs out of money and he's he through and his accountant tells him you have no money we've cut it off you can't actually do that you can't borrow any more money from anywhere he throws his toys out of his pram they're like you're gonna have to cut back you're gonna have to move out of your flat you're gonna and he's like no 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 way no way i'm not gonna do this i won't do it i'm telling you this is uh this is an outrage yeah and he essentially he goes into that mode and then his accountant says about the only way you can get around this is if you find some rich heiress to, uh, almost jokingly find a rich heiress to marry because she's going to have a whole bunch of money and then that's what you can do and he goes <laughs> And he goes, really? I could do that? <laughs> so while he's in one of these shows, he starts looking around for someone and he's thinking, who can I get to marry me? Who's going to marry me? And uh, oh, uh, who's going to marry me for just like that? Then he finds somebody who's a character played by Elaine May, who is a little bit, shall we say, naive in the way of the world, comes from a family that has a lot of money. She is like, actually has a job. She's a PhD researcher and stuff and all that. And he thinks, and he immediately thinks, okay, that's it. I can get her to marry me. I can become the kind of person who who I will get to marry. And his plan is marry her, kill her, get all her money. <laughs> and that's that's what his that's what his plan is. And I think we got a little bit of a clip, to play. clip to play. And this is this is kind of like them on the first date. And you can tell the kind of well well listen to this right. Listen to this number one. That think about the fact that it's Walter Matthau. Tell me about yourself. Just listen to this. Your work, your hopes, your dreams. Well. I work as a teacher, and I also do field work and write monographs. On my last field trip, I identified and classified all the variety of ferns on Jolly Bogo. It was one of the longest monographs I've ever written. I'd love to read it sometime. My hope is to discover a new variety of fern that has never been described or classified. I don't know what my dream is. Do you think it could be the same as my hope? Well, at any rate, that is my work and my hope, except for my dreams, which I'm not certain of. What happens if you discover a new species that has never been described or classified? Well, it, nothing terribly much, except that you are, you're listed as its discoverer, and the entire species is named after you. Oh, like uh, Parkinson's disease being named after James Parkinson. That's right. Or the Bougainville being named after Louis de Bougainville. Or like Brussels sprouts. Yes, that's right, that's right. It's a kind of immortality, isn't it? Yes, yes, I guess it is. That seems rather presumptuous, doesn't it, to, to hope for immortality? Not to me. If you can't be immortal, why bother? <laughs> so in there, you can hear a little bit in his voice. You can hear the kind of character almost like Walter Matha was playing because... Even that, I think the voice is recognizable as Walter Matha. Yeah, definitely. But doesn't sound like anything he's ever played before. And it's and I and you can hear a little bit of the kind of character Elaine May is playing in there, like you know, like she and in that scene. Anytime there's a there's a 
anytime there's a silence, you can just imagine Walter Matthau's face and like <laughs> doing what his face does. And it's yeah, so it's and then it's this kind of film where it goes on and he like you know where he tries to get him get her to marry him and he eventually succeeds in that and it's all about what has and and obviously as you mentioned earlier there is that theme with multimatha characters of heart of gold yeah. it's like grumpy with heart of gold this is kind of like self-involved posh eaten boy only cares about himself but little by little like you know his heart self comes out which is and it's quite funny because he it, there's bits where the film plays with you where you think oh maybe he's going to that side but Hopefully it's not a spoiler, but he actually does try and kill her. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he that actually, sounds so nice. <laughs> he actually does, but uh, it's 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 quite funny. It's really funny in that sort of like seventies comedy way, where it it's not funny in that it's not one of these things where it wasn't funny because it's been um like you know insulting to anybody or anything like that. It's almost just kind of the situation people yeah. are in and the characters that you're watching, and like the fact that when he when he gets married to her, he realizes that all of her staff she lives in this big mansion and all of her staff because she's such a pushover because you hear even from the voice like well really maybe if i find this and you hear that that she's supposed to be sort of like she has a lot of money but she doesn't really watch it that off that closely so her butler and her maid are all living it up and they're all taking money that's meant for the house and they're doing all this kind of stuff and it's it's great and it's uh, i i really like the film i think uh, i think it's um, I, well, I don't really think you see many comedies like that anymore. Uh, well, they don't make them like they used to. Used to, no. yeah. yeah. <laughs> that sounds quite. Yeah. Good. It was was actually in the same year as The Last Valley, believe it or not. Was it seventy one? Yeah. Yes. Oh, so it was seventy one. Nineteen seventy one. Well, that's what it's got here. Yeah. Oh, cool. I thought it was seventy. So, okay. I, I thought so, it was a bit later than that's that. That's what I said. That's the same year as The Last Valley. Yeah. And but no, I th- I think if for no other reason for the fact that it's Walter Matthau playing a posh spoilt. Eat. I mean, the bit where they're supposed to get married and then he has this freak out scene where he's thinking, no, my life, my freedom. <laughs> <laughs> the, the way he plays it is just hilarious. I've just never seen anything like it. I would totally recommend tracking down a new leaf, finding the, uh, watching the, if you have Netflix, it's on there because it's great. I think Ellen May did really, really well with it. It's, uh, I think it's a great example of 70s comedy where I think it's easy to get it wrong, but it's just the character and the the world that's built around it and everything like that that makes it work. And I I think it's I think it's a very funny film. Ah, I really to, like it. I just have to okay. check that one. It's and funny we we were talking about Walt Matthau the other day. I was who was I talking to? Is it Dave? And he was saying that he mentioned a film. He said, "Oh, have you ever seen a film called Charlie Varick?" Which I think we've mentioned before. Have you, have you seen Charlie Varick? I don't think I have. No. No. No, I don't well, think I have. You've not seen Charlie Varick? Well, it's like a. It's a bit of a caper. It's not. It's not supposed to be a comedy, but it is. You know, it's got. It's got funny moments. Around about that time, the seventies. Um, there was another film, The Taking of Pelham One Two Three. Yeah. Yeah. You've yep. seen that, have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is that's classic Walter Matthau, yeah. grumpy. Because I did think about that. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about. Um, you know, perhaps perhaps doing that on the show one day. Well, we have done Taking of Pelham One Two Three. We have done. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought yeah. we had actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the original, anyway. Varick, the original. Yeah. yeah. We don't talk about remakes. <laughs> well, we do some remakes. Some remakes. We should do a whole. We did say we were going to do a whole we show do on remakes. remakes but oh, I don't yeah. think we've done one yet. No, not not yet, not yet. Oh, we, yeah, because no. anyway, moving on. We got okay. a few in mind anyway. <laughs> okay, moving into the last section of our show, we've got our, our occasional series of of talks we do on 
I love movies. Now, that's a little play on words in it, that we do love movies, but we're also on an island. Hey! Yay! Clever. Island! <laughs> we are so clever. Are so, clever. <laughs> so, I love movies. And so, this is a section where we talk about films. We started off our little series about films that were made on the Isle of Wight. And now that, there is a, there are small, beautifully formed section of films, but we did run out of those quite quickly. So, now we're moving on to films that are basically set on islands. Yeah. Which, hey, we've got a world to choose from. Tenuous. So, it is tenuous, but <laughs> we don't mind tenuous on this show. <laughs> and so this is a film that was actually chosen by one of our pals from last night, from Gemma Cook, who's on my team, Snow Beast, in the cinema, uh, City World Cinema Quiz. Yep. And so Gemma suggested if we're doing island films, why not do Castaway, which is set on a film and an island, and hey, it's... Well, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's. I think Castaway is a good shout. Castaway is a good shout for an island-based movie. It's. It's... Yeah, because it's pretty much kind of Robinson Crusoe. Yeah, yeah. it's a modern Robinson Crusoe. So I have got a little bit of music to play from Castaway just to get us in the mood and picture ourselves on a desert island, but not quite so idyllic as some we've come to know. This is more like a place that Bear Grylls would turn up and sort of do horrible things to you. But here we go. Now, I know you chaps are dying to say it. There's one line from this film, isn't there, that you say <laughs> cast away, you all say... Wilson! <laughs> Wilson! Bless. That's it. <laughs> yeah. no, I think it's uh, because I remember cast away. I remember I actually saw this film for the first time. It was my birthday. And somebody... It was my first year at university, so this was two, 2000. No, it was 2001, 2001. And one of my friends had, uh, well, her mom worked with all these movie companies. And because it was uh, Oscar time, they had all these screeners that they sent out to people. So she got a copy of it before it went out, as, before it was out on DVD. I think it was still in cinemas. And she just sort of put it on in the common room and we were watching Castaway there. And that's actually the first time I saw it. And obviously because of the, because of the storyline of the film, being like Tom, Tom Hanks plays this FedEx uh, FedEx employee who um, is on a trip somewhere to actually go to, he's on a FedEx plane going somewhere and then the plane crashes and he ends up on this uninhabited desert island in the Pacific Ocean. So because of it, obviously you have Tom Hanks on screen. Pretty much he's the only one in the film for a large, Yeah. yeah, for a large part of the film, he's the only person in the film. And, so and you know it's one of the things you think okay what are we gonna do we're gonna work because it's it's over two hours long we're gonna watch tom hanks just acting for and i thought that the whole idea when the whole wilson idea was genius because mm-hmm. obviously he finds a package with a volleyball in it and he draws a face on the volleyball and the volleyball is a wilson volleyball so he calls it wilson and then this becomes like 
his best mate. He's, he, of course, his best mate because it's the only way he can keep from going mad on this island that he's just trapped on for years. And it's and I think the scene, and you think, oh, yeah, okay, that's actually, I mean, you're watching, you think, oh, that's okay, he's got Wilson. But then the scene, the Wilson! Yeah, when he does lose Wilson. Oh, my it's God. When he loses Wilson, it is so heartbreaking. Mm. It is. I remember nearly crying at that scene, and I was thinking, "What? Wow, is this? It's a man and a volleyball yeah. with a face painted and on it." Who knew a volleyball could be so expressive? <laughs> exactly. It's who... like that reproach. It's like as if it drifts away. It's like it's like it's like, me. it's like how do you, how how on earth uh, who knew that you could end up feeling so much for a volleyball <laughs> with a face painted on it? I th- I think it's it's a brilliant performance from Tom Hanks. Yeah. I think he does brilliantly in this film. And he's transformative, isn't it? He starts off, you know, sort of quite chubby and yeah. pale. And yeah, he's kind of like your your typical middle middle man, yeah. middle level management, management. American. Yeah. Who would have thought that would Tom Hanks would be able to change his appearance so dramatically as, as a film well, sort of pops well, up? He is a bit of a stalwart, though, isn't it? When it comes, I mean, most of his films, he's, he's he, I think he's good at, well, he's just well, a top actor with, yeah, you know. And and a losing weight as well because losing I think for up. this film, skeletal wasn't he? Well, no, this film they actually took they they filmed the bits with him where he's like you know he, where he's bigger, and then they took like a year off. Yeah, they took a year off filming the film, in which time he was just to go and lose weight. Yeah, just to get yeah down to just to go and lose weight down. so that he he could look like he had been on this island for for years, and but it works because I remember I know in the film there's actually a scene where they essentially do a jump where. This is him, and it's kind of like almost the scene where he decides, okay, I'm going to try and make this, I'm going to try and stay alive on this island. Yeah. And it's almost that scene, and then there's a bit, and it goes from him to like a couple of years later mm. where he's just sort of like shrunk in yeah. size, pretty but much. The hair is all long and matted. And yeah. That's a real beard as well, isn't it? You know that, because you can tell a fake beard, can't you? If, um, well, as soon as it appears, it's like, that's stuck on. But you knew, <laughs> <laughs> but you knew that he had grown that long tangled mess of a beard yeah he'd grown his own whiskers Tom Hanks had got his own whiskers I think I think what's quite interesting is is the film title because it's like cast away isn't it it's not like cast away as in you know yeah it's two separate words two two separate words whereas I mean there was an Ollie Reed film I think in the the 80s that's based on a true story wasn't it this guy who advertised advertised for young ladies to be cast away with him Okay. Old toes and stuff. I don't know what her name is. Roll Roll then. something, isn't it? But yeah, there yeah, was yeah. a well-known thing at the time. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, fine. <laughs> yeah, but, but 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 yeah. So um, yeah. No, but this is this is this is a good performance, and I think it's great that, that you know one person can can hold up a movie. You know? Yeah, they really do carry a film, don't they? They do. Yeah, I think there's that Robert Redford one which yeah um, which is a bit like the old man and the sea type thing, yeah isn't it? oh yeah. all is lost all yeah. is lost well yeah. that's i mean that's just him i've got and that uh, that's another film i've got on my neck list to watch list cool. yeah you need to see that <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's a little bit i go by neck list to watch list and uh, because i do want to see when a one person carries a film i think it needs to be quite because obviously that you can't have dialogue you need to have somebody who and almost there's something that's just purely cinematic about it because this person has to be able to communicate stuff with you without saying words and i think i think they do it well i think they do it quite well in both those films well uh, well from what i've heard in all is lost and from what i've seen of it i still need to see that whole film and castaway the the thing i would say about castaway is uh, it it seems because there's things in castaway that i think you you think you've maybe you've seen them before in a grubnison crusoe movie or anything like that and I, but I feel like the film just tells a story so well that even things that you've seen before and should be cheesy, 
and should be it's, it's a bit like you know when you watch a film and it's a war film and once one guy takes out his wallet and starts showing pictures of his girl you back home <laughs> and he starts saying yeah we're gonna get married and all that kind of you know <laughs> that guy's gonna die you just know that guy's gonna get shot in the head and it's um and in castaway obviously the fact that it kicks off and he has this relationship with the character played by helen hunt and the fact that you know they're about to get married and you know things are gonna and the, but there's the bit and even the fact that it just plays in your mind of oh my god she doesn't she doesn't know whether he's alive she doesn't know whether he's dead yeah. and then when he when i mean spoiler alert when he gets back to america towards the end of the film and obviously she's moved on with her life yeah, her because, life has carried on hasn't it because it's, it's had been that four grief, years but it's carried on yeah and you just kind of think oh my word that is not an easy situation to be in no. And it's it seems like a cheesy, contrived situation to put characters in because it creates drama. But I think they do it so well in the film that I'm kind of like going, I was actually thinking, yeah, that would... I'm thinking about my wife and I'm thinking if I ended up like, you know, on some island somewhere, which uh, maybe that's what happened to me now. If I ended up on an island somewhere, like, you know, she didn't know what happened or anything like that. And then I came back uh, four years later, miraculously, and it turns out that she'd moved on with her life and found someone else. What the heck would I do? And I think cast away. Yeah, you would be lost again, wouldn't you? You'd be cast away again. Yeah. All the things that you'd based your life around would just be gone again. Yeah. Yeah, and and I love the final shot of the film in which it's all about because of because all these FedEx pack packages wash yeah. up on the shore of the uh, of the island, and he opens them up to find things to help him stay alive, and he has this one package that he's like, no, I'm not gonna open that package. Yeah, he saves he's one gonna with the yeah. wings yeah. on it. Yeah, and he's gonna deliver that package, and the fact that at the end of the film he goes and he delivers it, and then he almost ends up at this crossroads where it's kind of like, what do I do now? And I just think the it's a film that I think. It's a it's a film that only gets better with repeat view viewings. Yeah. And when you watch it once and you think, eh, okay, then the more you go away, the more it just stays in your head and you think about it. So I I, I like that as an I, island it, movies. Yeah, that's that's yeah. a good argument. Actually, it's funny today talking about islands. I was I was listening on um, the radio and it they were telling the story of um, Shackleton. You know Shackleton. He uh, crossed, yeah, yeah, Shackleton, yeah. And he it crossed was, Georgia, didn't he? Yeah, and. Um, there's an island like like the, the so, uh, yeah am I yeah. getting the right name pardon no, Sh- no Shackleton, Shackleton was the he was the uh, Arctic explorer explorer, wasn't Arctic explorer yeah. and it's, oh, it's, it's yeah yeah and his um his boat got crushed and it's a story of the man when he, he walked across the ice and they went to this island called Elephant Island oh, and, yeah? and uh, they decided that they need to get to South Georgia so some sailed off and it it was just a diary it was based on a on the diary of all these people that stayed on the island for like yeah. for so long and how they survived on penguins and seals and <coughs> yeah, yeah so, so i mean i mean it's amazing places. what people can it's, it's amazing i think with with humans what adversity they can they can yeah. handle you know yeah and this the castaway great film for that chose yeah that whole bit where he sort of makes fire for the first time you know it's like he's with, he was like the first man ever to make fire oh, you know? man. he's it's transformed just... from someone who is doomed to someone who's got this spark of hope literally well, this spark yeah, of it, hope the the, the i mean the, i could actually talk about this film a lot i'm just realizing that now that i could talk about this film mm-hmm. a lot but it's it's kind of like the way the way i've um okay i go for dance lessons with my wife and it's 
it's sometimes when you're trying to do like a certain move in the dance, you're trying to get the steps right. There's a point at which you get the steps right and it feels like you've scored a goal in a World Cup final. Yeah. And I feel like that's probably what it was like for him because even his reaction in that he has that bit where he's he's trying to make fire and then he makes fire for the first time and he just goes, yeah! And he's running around with his hands up and it's like, yeah, I've just scored a goal! I scored a goal in the World Cup final! It's amazing. <laughs> oh, excuse me. I'm sorry about my cough, people. <laughs> we forgive you. So that castaway. Thank you, Gemma, for suggesting it. And yeah, it was I Love Movies, a castaway thing. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the show this evening. You have been listening to the Don't Make Them Like They Used To at St Mary's Hospital, listening to Sunshine Radio. We do hope that you'll be feeling better soon and that you'll be going home soon. And remember, they don't make them like, like they, they used to. to.